Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 537 of the Juice Box Podcast. On today's show, Haley joins us. Haley is a trifecta. She has type 1 diabetes. She works in the medical field helping people with type 1 diabetes. And her side hustle, she's a trainer for Tandem Control IQ. And she's here today to talk about just that. As you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you're new to the show and don't know where to keep going, like you're like, I like this episode, but what do I do next? Check out episode 411. It explains how different people listen. People who are more interested in community, some are more interested in management. Episode 411 will point you in the right direction. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. And you can learn more about it at Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. The episode is also sponsored today by Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod Dash and the Omnipod Promise, which I'll tell you about in just a little bit. To learn more about Omnipod or to get started today, go to Omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. There are links to these and all of the sponsors in the show notes of your podcast player and at Juicebox Podcast. Hi, my name is Haley White. I am a physician assistant at UPMC Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh in the Endocrine and Diabetes Division. I also work for Tandem doing pump trainings and uh, startups and also have type 1 diabetes. I was diagnosed when I was three and I'm a former patient at Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. So I'm happy to be here and hopefully this information can help others because that's exactly why I got into this field to begin with. Cool. That's excellent. I don't want to go too far into your personal stuff because it will take away from our other conversation, but certainly how old are you now? I am 33. I'll be 34 in November and I will celebrate my 31st anniversary in October. Wow. Look at you. That's excellent. Yeah. So I was like shortly before turning three is when I was diagnosed. That's a long time. (laughs) Yeah, it certainly is. So like the technology that we have available now is just so obviously so different than what my parents had available when I was that age. The insulins are so different. It definitely makes management, you know, easier and uh, much more livable. My cousin's daughter actually was just diagnosed last week. She's seven. um, And I was, you know, telling her that, that things are at least a lot better than they, they used to be in moving in the right direction. The technology advances are pretty cool. Yeah. It's amazing. How do you end up? So you have a full-time job at the hospital. I, I imagine, mm-hmm. right. How do you yep. end up doing training? Because a lot of people do this, like uh, do training for pump companies on like, is it a side job or how do you yep. think of it? 
So usually we'll meet like on evenings or the weekends, things like that, and which is usually more flexible with family schedules as well. I usually do most of um, just peds patients that are patients at our clinic, mm-hmm. um, but can also do adults as well. So yeah, it works out pretty well to with my schedule and their schedule. How many people do you think that you talk to in a month? Um, for tandem specifically? Yeah. It really depends. It kind of uh, comes and goes. Like this month so far, I think I've done four trainings. So it really, it kind of varies from month to month, but I would say four, three to four is pretty average. Okay. What's the goal of the training? So obviously it's to, so you understand the pump, but more specifically, like where are you trying to get them when you get off the call? So we actually will meet in person and the way we do things at children's is a little bit different than how um, they do things in the adult world. So if they're new to pump, brand new to pump, we will, I'll actually meet with them first and they will go on saline and they'll practice using the pump, just using saline for like a week or two. And then they'll come back and they'll meet with our diabetes educators and kind of review something, see if they have had any issues. And then they'll leave that day using the pump with insulin in it. Okay. So, And I- the other thing we've been kind of doing, um, which I think will probably change, um, also is varies from patient to, to patient and family to family, but we have been starting them out on basal IQ if they're brand new to pump, just to get them used to pump therapy in general. Um, you know, it's kind of like, getting your driver's license and then buying a Ferrari. Mm. So going from absolutely nothing to control IQ can be a lot sometimes, um, depending on the family and patient. So we have been typically starting them out on the basal IQ. And then after they get used to that, then they'll do the upgrade to the control IQ. So there's somebody making a, a kind of quiet assessment of the people and trying to decide what it is they can handle. Yes. Yeah. And that's typically the provider. The provider does that. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so like I had a patient whose mom has type one, has been on a pump. She's on a Medtronic. Um, she's also a nurse, you know, and so we, we started in on, on insulin right away mm-hmm. and on control like you right away. Cause that's obviously a, a savvy family who is already familiar with pump therapy in general. I see. So, but to my original question, it's interesting because you have the perspectives of two different entities. Like, like mm-hmm. it just occurred to me, like you have the goals of the the practice in mind, but then when you work for tandem, you have different goals in mind. So that's the thing I'm interested in specifically is when I, you know, I get together with you to do my pump training for control IQ. When I leave, what is your goal? Is your goal for my blood sugar to be in a range? Is it for me to understand how the how the algorithm works? Like, what is it you're trying to impart in that first meeting? Yeah. So that's a great question. So it's really to, to understand how the pump works and how to use the pump properly and safely. Um, and then the adjustments in terms of getting the blood sugars into a tighter range typically goes back to the provider or the diabetes educators at uh, the hospital. So as a, as a contracted employee, I'm actually not legally allowed to give the patients medical advice on like how to do extend boluses or temp basils or, you know, making insulin dose adjustments, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, but can give that advice as a medical 
professional at the hospital, if that makes sense. Do you actually like literally have hats that you take on and off while you're speaking to people? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I will say, you know, as, you know, I can't say from a tandem perspective, but from a children's perspective, this is typically what I would recommend to my patients, you know, but I would double check with your provider specifically because everybody is a little bit different on how they manage things. Right. And I'm sure, you know, I, I say all day long, diabetes is not black and white and there is a ton of gray. So it, it is a little challenging because I'm legally not allowed to give specific advice as a tandem employee, but um, you know, since I do work for children's, I can kind of throw that in on the side off the record kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think it's beneficial for people to understand that device manufacturers are prohibited by the FDA from giving medical advice. And so it, to kind of make it super simple to understand <laughs> if uh, Ford makes a car and Ford is Dexcom, let's say, um, then I can tell you that the pedal on the left stops the car. I, but I can't tell you how hard to push it or when to push it. And that would be a driving instructor who would tell you that. And, Correct. Right, yep, exactly. Right. So you can say, hey, listen, this is where you put the insulin and this is what happens here and this is how the algorithm works. But you couldn't say to them, for instance, um, the algorithm would work a lot better if you pre bolused your meals. Um. I mean, we do talk about some of those things. And of course, we talk about like safety issues. So prevention of DKA, prevention of site infection, things like that. So there are some things that we can discuss in terms of management, but really where it gets iffy or we're not really allowed to discuss is like dose adjustments or what specifically to do, gotcha. um, if that makes sense. So no. we can do a little bit of that, um, but at least I think until, you know, my boss hears this podcast and then I get in trouble. So <laughs> you think you're going to get in trouble for being on the podcast? No, I'm just saying unless they're like, oh, you've been you've been doing that off the record. You're not allowed to do that or, or something. <laughs> so so we'll see. Haley, I have to tell you something. It'll be a fun place to put this. I did an amazing interview last week with a person who is in your almost exact situation. Um, oh, for, yeah. for what your job is, not the training part, the part at the hospital, right? Okay. And we got completely done. And when we got done, I said to the person, I don't think we should ever share this with anybody. And they go, yeah, I was just starting to think I'm going to get fired, right? And I was like, 100% going to get fired if I put this up. <laughs> so um, anyway, it's interesting to see the back workings of things. But uh, yeah, to, and to- there's obviously some things you have to say in terms of safety as a medical professional, because once again, because there is, you know, not black and white, like we give black and white instructions, but then there's always a caveat to those as well. So it can, you know, that's why diabetes management can be sometimes challenging. Um, So sometimes what you would recommend professionally versus personally could be different. Mm -hmm. Um, So I always say, do as I say, not as I do um, in clinics, but but yeah, that's where it can get a little bit iffy. Okay. Well, all right. So I think we have some good background on who you are and how you think about things. So that's perfect. So I want to just jump right into, so, I mean, I think it's obvious for people who listen that, um, you know, I have a ton of experience with Omnipod and I have mm-hmm. a ton of experience with Loop and Jenny comes on all the time. Jenny uses Omnipod as well. And then control IQ comes up and people are like, you know, I need to know how to use this. Now, in my mind, it's probably not much different than loop. 
which will probably be not much different than Omnipod 5, which will probably be not much different to whatever Medtronic comes up with and Tidepool's algorithm, et cetera. I, I think they're maybe they get to what they're doing differently, but I think it's more about understanding the settings that that ever so for I've spoken to a number of people on Control IQ who I've tried to help understanding that I've never seen it in my life, never held it, never looked at it, never used it. And still I've been able to help people, but I have to like listen to their stories and then like go, okay, well, I think maybe try this, which is not mm-hmm. a, not a productive way to try to get it to the masses, right? So I'm hoping that you can, it, what I would like to do in this episode is to have a, a real firm understanding of how the algorithm works and what set mm-hmm. and what settings are available to you as the user. So, yeah. So there, you know, I agree. I think all the automated systems, you know, the goal is to obviously get the percent time and range to be higher, prevent hyper and hypoglycemia. Um, but the algorithms are all a little bit different. So I think the thing that is nice about the control IQ is it does use your program basal rates, carb ratios, correction factors. Um, and you can have up to six different profiles. So you could have your primary profile that you typically use day to day. And then you could have, for example, an illness profile where your insulin needs maybe a little bit higher or for females, you can maybe have a like menstrual, um, profile. You could have an activity profile, a weekend versus weekday profile, you know, grandma's house profile, whatever, where things may be different. So you can have up to six different ones that are already programmed into the pump. So it's very easy to just go in and turn on whichever profile you want to use. And then the algorithm will use that as a starting point. So the only things that are set in the algorithm are the insulin on board time um, and the target blood sugar. So the target blood sugar is actually, whenever you're just using it, um, the primary mode. So there's just your regular mode, there is an exercise mode, and then there's a sleep mode. Um, so for the primary mode, the target is 112.5, which I know is random. Um, and I believe it was, you know, an engineering thing, how they came up with that number. Um, and that was, you know, where you could get basically the most time in range from the majority of people with, you know, less hypoglycemia. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually in the pump, the pump settings, it'll, the target will be 110. So essentially it's keeping you between, um, 110 or 112.5 to 160 is the target range with the algorithm. Um, and then if it predicts, so the other thing about the algorithm is it's looking 30 minutes ahead of time and predicting what it thinks the blood sugar is going to do based off of the Dexcom values. So if it predicts, you're going to go above 160, it'll start to increase the basal rate from whatever your pre-programmed basal rate is. Um, And then if it predicts you're going to go above 180, it will actually give a correction bolus. The caveat being it's only 60% of the calculated dose. And that's usually because it's, you know, as you're rising, it's increasing the basal as well, and then giving the correction on top of that. So it comes out to be you know, not quite a hundred percent, but it's still more than if they gave a hundred percent of the correction, you know, that would definitely predispose you to drop low. Um, but it's using your correction factor that's 
programmed in your pump settings whenever it's calculating that versus I believe the uh, Medtronic algorithm doesn't use like your pre-programmed basal rates and things like that. And it just Poluses. comes up with them on your own. Yeah. yeah. So I have questions. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if I put this on a person who's eating like no carbs whatsoever, they're like on a really strict low carb diet. Would I, if everything was going well, would I just see a graph that's just 110, 24 hours a day? Pretty much, yeah. So as long as they're still bullishing for, you know, the small carb intake that they are having and taking into account the fat and protein. Yeah. I mean, whenever I don't always eat low carb, don't get me wrong. I love donuts and fried food and all that fun stuff. But during the week, sometimes I do a little bit lower carb. And when I do low carb, I mean, my, my tracings are like pretty straight with very minimal ups and downs. Um, so that can be achievable with this if you're doing, you know, I think that kind of shows that lower carb is beneficial. Now, of course, in some kids, we don't want them doing super low carb for growth reasons and things like that. But in general, as an adult, you know, lower carb is a little bit easier on the blood sugars in general. And then the system is able to make some of those micro adjustments more easily than a bigger adjustment. Okay. So let me, let me say this then. Arden, my daughter, about an hour and 15 minutes ago had two big homemade pancakes and seven strips of bacon and her mm-hmm. blood sugar is 75 right now and super stable mm-hmm. what you're talking about. Is that not attainable with control IQ? Or no, I mean, it, something I have to do it, to do it? so it, the algorithm will decrease your basal if you're trending below between 70 and the 112.5. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not to say that you can't that you're constantly then at like 112.5, there's plenty of times where you could be in the 70s, 80s, or 90s. So it's just trying to prevent the low. And then if you if it's predicting you go below 70, that's when it'll actually suspend the basal. Well, then um, will that create a high later or can it cut that off? So that's a great question. And one thing that I don't love about this system is you know, you definitely need to treat lows less aggressively than you're used to, mm-hmm. which I think is hard for people, depending on how symptomatic they are. It sometimes can be hard for parents if they're anxious, you know, about the low blood sugar or whatnot. But if you do over treat and then you start to rise, then it may be increasing your insulin again. And if you way over treat and you don't dose for the extra carbs eaten, then you know, and you're, it's trending, it's predicting you're going to go above 180, then it'll give you that micro bolus. And that often does precipitate another low. So it is really key to treat lows less aggressively and to find kind of what works for you personally, whenever the system does shut off that basal. So not necessarily like there's sometimes where mine might shut off. And if I'm a little tight, I may actually just let it ride and then I'm fine. But if I have a lot of insulin on board or a patient has a lot of insulin on board and they go, you know, they're in the fifties or sixties where they're much more symptomatic, you know, Mm. I'm guilty of over treating my lows at times. So I do find that you then have to, you know, be proactive and dose for the extra carbs eaten if you know that you over treated it. Yeah. I find very simply that it takes a little while to figure it out, but after Mm -hmm. Arden was on loop for a while, I saw there are some lows you treat 
and don't bolus for, and there are some lows you treat and almost have to bolus up, up you know, 60, 70% of it pretty immediately. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, so you know, I, if, if it normally takes you 10 to 20 grams on this system, you know, to bring you up, then I would say subtract that from whatever you did eat and bolus for the rest, rest. of it. Yeah. And if you're nervous about it, you could always do a little bit less. And then you, you know, as with time, as always, you, you see what happens and then you learn from it and make an adjustment the next time. Right. Yeah. That's exactly how I think about it. Okay. So but yeah, I think some people think that, you know, like I actually initially was hesitant to upgrade from the basal IQ because I love the basal IQ so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, well, I don't want to be necessarily 110 all day. I sometimes like to be a little bit tighter, especially overnight, but you can have lower numbers than just the 110. So I think that's a misconception that I sometimes hear from people. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, that's everyone's biggest concern about algorithms is why can't I move the target blood sugar? Yeah. And so I think in this scenario, um, I, I hear this a lot also about the insulin on board time being set, you know, with an algorithm, something's ha- something has to be consistent and static, because if you can change the correction factor, the basal rates, the target and the insulin on board, that the math isn't going to always add up. And there's going to be actually a lot like the algorithm's not going to work well in that scenario. So something has to be consistent. So if you think about it, that's why with like Medtronic, for example, you don't have a set basal, it does that for you, but you can adjust your target, you can adjust your insulin on board time, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're giving you access to the, a different side of the settings and then it thinks about it differently and tries to accomplish the same thing. So it's just, exactly. it's just sort of how the algorithm is written to work. And, and I exactly. So, so let me ask you a question: Is does the algorithm work in such a way that if one day they said, "Look, we just need to make this thing more aggressive," like we're going to let you set it at ninety if you want your target to be ninety, would the algorithm just work the way it works, but it'll but you know twenty two and a half points lower than? Like, is it just, is this just an FDA thing? Like, is this just like, I think this is what we can get through the FDA right now? Or do you think this is just how these things are going to stay? Yeah. So that's a great question. And I think they're looking into that a lot because they do hear from people that they want more flexibility, whether that's for, you know, like activity, the activity profile or the exercise profile. Um, It, that targets you to between 140 and 160. And some people might want to be higher than that. Or some people like I know you've mentioned with Arden, you know, she's pretty stable and can exercise when she's lower. So they are looking into being able to adjust some of those things, but I don't know exactly where they're at in that process. But I do think, you know, to get it approved initially, they use that, you know, 112.5, because that was the number where you saw the most time and range without increased hypoglycemia. So it was really a, a safe option, which, you know, is important, of course, when you're, when you're thinking about diabetes management, especially as a parent, well, no, um, is to yeah. look at the safety. Oh, and it's in- so important to remember that this is the first iteration of these things for all these companies. Like they're, mm-hmm. they weren't going to come out the door going like, you can just set this anywhere between 68 and 150, whatever you want. You, you know, like even, right. even if they right. could do that, that's not, you have to, I, I hate to say it like this, but you have to teach the masses how to use a thing before you can just do that. Yes. Now, uh, average, you are a thousand percent 
correct with that because, you know, I think a lot of people listening to this podcast or a lot of people on the Facebook group or, you know, people who are savvy, they do want that tighter control and they want that flexibility to have that tighter control. But that's not the majority of people, unfortunately. I would, I would love if all of my patients you know, were hesitant concerns. to upgrade to the control IQ because it targets you to 110, you know, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. But well, that's unfortunately not the case. So, right. so, so yeah, you're exactly right. They're looking at the, like the average, you know, patient with type one when they're, when they were initially thinking about this. A 112 target, which uh, for you people overseas is 6.2. That target is an A1C of 5.5. If you kept your blood sugar to 112 constantly, your A1C would be 5.5. Yeah. And that's the other thing to look at. You know, it's like it, it still is, is very tight control. Um, so sometimes it's like, you know, you have to think about diabetes burnout as well. And sometimes I think if you're expecting perfection with diabetes, you can be setting yourself up for failure and burnout down the road. So yeah you know, expecting to be 90 all the time, you're going to be at an increased risk of lows, which come with other consequences as well. So yeah, it's not like riding at 112.5 is, is bad for no, sure. Right. I want to say before we move forward, let me put this out there. One, what is it? 1.8 million Americans have type one diabetes. Is that the number right now? Like, so yeah, I believe okay. it's around there. Yeah. I'm going to tell you that this is, you are right now, Haley, speaking on the most popular diabetes podcast in the world. And I don't touch even a small percentage of 1.8 million people. And so, yeah, which, yeah, and so for all the people out there who don't understand this in a bigger way and who aren't kind of like Zen about it and just like, oh, put somewhere in there, correct in a low, no big deal, bolus two thirds of that, et cetera. How much is that? Like, I just bolused Arden for pancakes. If you think I measured the pancakes, you're out of your mind. You, you know what I mean? I was just like, ah, mm-hmm. do this much. <laughs> and, and that was sort oh, of yeah. the end of it, and, right? So, <laughs> yeah. so, so my point is, you take this control IQ, you take Omnipod 5, you take Gloop and anything and slap it on most people and you've just significantly improved their health and their life. Significant. A thousand percent. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because right. we're seeing like even in well-controlled patients, you know, in the clinical trials and even in the real life data, I don't know the exact statistics, but it was like time and range went from, you know, like 65 to 75% or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so you're already taking someone that's already in range 65% of the time though, which is, you know, pretty good. Um, versus there's a lot of people out there who are not in range 65% of the time, unfortunately. So I have a colleague who says better is better. And I love that, um, slogan because, you know, eight is better than 8.5. 8.5 is better than nine. So yeah. yeah, if we can take their time and range even from 25% to 30% would be better. But the patients who don't do well at all, who really struggle with bolusing, who, you know, have really poor glycemic control, they're actually seeing a better improvement with this compared to patients who are in tighter control. I, so I they're not that. obviously having a higher, the highest percent time and range, but the um, difference in improvement is pretty tremendous. So it's allowed me to be a little bit more flexible with patients who um, maybe in the past, I didn't feel like we're the safest patient to put on a pump. But with the still cannula option, you know, I think this has really been a game changer for patients who are willing to wear a pump with tubing, willing to do the still cannula. Um, and this, I think, is really going to improve a lot of lives of, you know, people with diabetes, not only their glycemic control, but 
the quality of life as well to not have to think about your diabetes as much. And that's where I really have seen the improvement in my life um, is I don't have to micromanage or think about it as constantly as I did before. And that after 30, you know, almost 31 years, that's huge. So I think that, you know, those two things in of itself are, you know, just truly spectacular about this system and not all the automated um, pumps. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, overnight, just overnight, if, if the automated pumps didn't do anything else, the amount of sleep you were going to recoup having an algorithm is going to be spectacular. You're a not thousand percent, oh, it's yeah. going to be magical. And, you know, little things like Arden uh, went out last night. She was out for a, a long while in the evening and she got home and she was out with friends. They were driving around. I think she was the driver. I think they stopped in places, did things, hung out, talked, moved on. They were just out and about, you know. And at one point, I watched her blood sugar look like it wanted to go from 90 down. And then I watched the loop algorithm stop it at 72 and bring her back to 90. Mm-hmm. Again. It was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like it saw she was getting lower and took away all of her basal and she dipped down and came back up very, very smoothly. And all I could think was I didn't have to text my 17 year old daughter while she was with friends and say to her, hey, stop what you're doing and look at your blood sugar. So this thing yeah. grabbed a hold of it. It was amazing. Then they went to a Yeah, fair. I, it really is. It yeah. really is. Yeah. Like, it, it's impeccable. So they went to a fair after that or a carnival or something. And there was a time where I saw the algorithm try again, and it wasn't going to do it. Now, she didn't know that yet, but I know it because I can see it. So I texted her and I said, mm-hmm. hey, you're going to need a little food here. And she's like, great. I was going to eat anyway. So the next, <laughs> the next yeah. thing I see is a bolus for like 35 carbs everything's good. She's on her way. And then she gets home, she gets in bed and I can see her blood sugar trending down. Like she stopped now. There's probably still some active insulin from the food she ate, you know, et cetera. And she's going to get low. So I go into her and I'm like, Hey, it's really late, but you need some carbs here. And I'm trying not to tell her what to do. So she took in probably more carbs than she needed and fell asleep. But when her blood sugar started to go back up, now, was I thrilled that Arden's blood sugar was 136 for about four hours overnight last night? I wasn't. But keep in mind the scenario. She went to sleep. I went to sleep. This thing stopped her blood sugar at 136. And by the time she woke up in the morning, was bringing it back down again. And and, oh, yeah. and then leveled her out at 90 and went on went on its way. So these are the things you're looking forward to if you're listening. But, but Haley. For everyone else, okay, for the rest of the people listening to this podcast, how do I tell them, try an algorithm, watch your A1C go up, but it'll be easier for you because they're not going to do that. So is there a way in Control IQ specifically for me to be more aggressive with my settings and have stability at a lower number than 112? Like, like, So what I hear people say is, I put that thing in sleep mode and always leave it in sleep mode. What what does that do exactly for as a jumping in point? Omnipod would like to make you a promise. They would like to make you the Omnipod promise. Here's what that says. There's no need to wait for the next big thing from Omnipod. Because with the Omnipod promise, 
you can upgrade to Omnipod's latest technologies for no additional cost as soon as they're available to you and covered by insurance. Terms and conditions apply, but you can find out all the deals. The deals? You can find out all the details at Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. And let me be clear. The Omnipod promise isn't something you sign. It isn't something you have to pledge. They don't send you a certificate in the mail. It's just their promise to you. If you buy something from Omnipod today, you'll be able to upgrade to their latest technologies for no additional cost as soon as they're available to you and covered by your insurance. Right now, today, you can get a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash when you go to my link. Go there now and find out if you're eligible. A free 30 days of the Omnipod Dash. That is a month or one-twelfth of a calendar year of you using an insulin pump for the free. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Head over now and check it out. I don't know why I said that. I don't want you to head over right this second. I want you to listen while I tell you about the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. A continuous glucose monitor continuously shows you your blood sugar in real time. No testing every couple of hours or guessing or doing that like, I think my blood sugar is okay. That's not how you find out what your blood sugar is. How you feel doesn't necessarily say where you are. You know what can tell you where you are? The Dexcom. I'm going to whip this thing open right now here. This thing being my cell phone to tell you about Arden's blood sugar. Arden left school today. She can drive now. And she, actually, she's a good driver. That's not the point. And her and a friend went out for chicken and waffles with real syrup. She handled that bolus all by herself. And I got to watch it here on my iPhone. Now, if I had an Android phone, I could still watch it on my Dexcom follow app. But right now, today, iPhone. I can see Arden's blood sugar coming out of school. I see the little dip when she bolused. I see a tiny little rise. And then I see the insulin takeover come back down again. And I even see a spot a number of hours later where the fat from the chicken fingers tries to come back and get her again. The fat and protein from the chicken fingers. If you don't know about that, you should check out the pro tip series. But um, I see it and I'm able to send Arden a text and say, hey, your bolus was really tight, really great today. But I think we need a little more insulin right here. And she responded back to me. Do you know what she said? I'm going to get it right out of my text. She said, I already did. How cool is that? Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. The number your blood sugar is, the direction it's moving, and how fast it's going in that direction at your fingertips. Whether you're a follower of the person wearing the device or the person wearing it. Everyone using insulin, everyone using insulin can benefit. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Let's get back to Haley. We have a lot more control IQ to talk about. Some people do that. And what the sleep mode does is it actually will not give any automated correction, but it will adjust the basal to keep you between 112.5 and 120. So it's a much tighter range. So if you're, if it's predicting you're going above 120, it'll start to increase the basal versus the, you know, typical 
pro the typical algorithm is the cutoff is 160. So it has a tighter range in general. So it's keeping you basically between the, trying to keep you between those numbers. Mm-hmm. All right, Haley. But I will tell you, you know? anecdotally, <laughs> most most of my patients have had not only improved time in range, which I would argue is more important than the A1C, um, but have also had improvement in their A1C. So I think, you know, if your settings are working accurately and you're doing your end, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, unless your A1C was like insanely low, I don't know, like 5% or something super low, there's no reason that you couldn't keep an A1C in the fives or, you know, low 6%. That is definitely attainable with the system. Okay. So then can this, would the system allow me to keep a 5A1C if that was my goal? Like what if I'm pregnant? Um, yeah. So yeah, great question. So it's not approved for pregnancy, which is part of, you know, the reason is because they do want much tighter control, um, during pregnancy, but they basically want you to be low a lot during pregnancy, which I've never been pregnant, but my colleagues who have type one and have been pregnant, you know, they don't, they don't feel great whenever they're low like that all the time. So that's, that's one thing to think about, but, um, I don't know. I haven't seen anybody with an A1C of 5%, I would say, um, not to get too into numbers. My last A1C was Mm 5.6%. Um, I was only using the system for a month at that time though. So it's hard to say exactly how much of that was the system. Um, but the problem is it, it doesn't, you know, you can stay between 70 and the 112.5. So you probably could achieve an A1C of five if you are, if you were doing the right things. I just can't say, I can't say that from personal experience or professional experience for sure, but I don't see why you couldn't because it's not like it's not allowing you to have blood sugars in the 70s and 80s. Okay. Well, listen, Arden got her A1C done last Monday and hers was 5.6. Now. Oh, look at that. Where we can be diabetes. You know, she would be, cr- she would just cringe right up into a ball if she heard you say that. But okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, yeah. And I have patients who cringe too. And then the, the younger ones, they're the ones that, you know, they love that. So <laughs> I don't even think she's if I ever meet her. If I ever meet her, I won't say that. <laughs> I, you, you really want to listen to the episode that I just did with her to understand fully what I've just said. Uh, but that's, yeah. But, and I, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but I do want to, because yeah. Obviously, I feel like I know her, you know, from <laughs> listening to some of the other episodes and hearing you talk about her. So, well, you're really I am interested to, to literally, yeah, like hear her speak and everything. But I take your point and I agree with your point about time and range, right? I do think that the one fear I have about talking about time and range is some people set their range between 70 and 400 and go, I'm in range 100% uh, of the time. But, you know, yeah, you're, ta- you're right. Time and range, I think of, it, it, listen, the way I think of it, I think of 160 as high. I think of 180 as I've made a fairly big mistake. Anything over 180 just doesn't happen. And if it does, we're foobarred somehow. Like the pop, you know, the pot, the pump site's bad or like something like that, right? Like I, but to tell people that Arden's A1C was just five six, and I want to be clear with you, Arden's A1C was just five six. Arden's A1C has been between five two and six two for almost eight years now, mm-hmm. and so. Time and range is super important, but I don't want you to think that Arden's blood sugar doesn't go up because it does. Like I got pancakes exactly right today. And so did she. She's still 75. And we've been talking for a half an hour. Okay. Like I go back Mm -hmm. three hours 
she hasn't been over 90 or under 75 in the last three hours. And my point is that there are still going to be times where we're going to do pancakes and mess it up. And her blood Mm -hmm. sugar is going to shoot up like everybody else's does, right? And there's when I know how to circumvent the loop. That's when I know how to say, okay, we're going to shut the algorithm off now. I'm going to correct this, bring it back down, get it straight again, let the algorithm take back over. Like I can take a mess up and turn it back into good in an hour or so. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if if my if the insulin is doing what I expect, which is just a way of me thinking about like if my if the pump site's working the way I want it to. Um, but what can people do? Uh, I'm going to ask this question later. I'm going to, I'm so sorry. I, I said all that. I'm going to come back to that question later. No, um, that's okay. But can yeah. I interject and just about the time and range for a second? Yeah. So, yeah, I agree with you because it actually, um, the time and range kind of default is 70 to 180 for this algorithm, as well as just like the, like Dexcom clarity reports, things like that. And yeah. I know you can customize those as well. Um, and I believe that that's also what the ADA had their range at, um, when, you know, making recommendations for how often you should be in range, et cetera. So I agree, you know, I typically recommend like 80 to 140 would be ideal range, but you have to think if you're consistently even between, you know, 140 and 180, that's still so much better than some people do. You know, not everybody is as savvy as you are or as, um, you know, they just, there's there's some people out there who have really awful control. So I totally get what you're saying when you're having a tighter time and range, but, you know, I think, and I would argue sometimes too, like, should we make that lower? But that's what the ADA looked at. And their goal is to be um, in range 70% or more frequently. So just kind of wanted to to touch base on that a little bit more so that people aren't discouraged thinking like, Oh, I'm in range a lot, but uh, that is 150 or 160, you know, and then feeling like they're not doing enough. And I appreciate you saying that. And I appreciate your perspective from my perspective. I agree with you. I, I wouldn't like if somebody told me my blood sugars, you know, 150 constantly, and that's the best I can do. I'd say that's great. I think that's amazing. Good for you. I also don't think that's the best you can do. So I think that aspirational is important and that the perspective of this is what the ADA says. The FDA doesn't let me say this because I work for this company. I don't want to say this because I don't know. Once we start factoring in all that other stuff, we take away good information from people who, okay, it might be over their head, but it also might not be over their head. And if we don't tell them, we'll never find out who's who. And so that's, that's why I talk about it like this. Like, I'm not saying, like, I could be saying something right now that may be over a person's head who's listening, and maybe they'll never be able to put some of those things in practice. But I don't believe that to be true. Like, I think I've seen anecdotally, again, enough people listen to this show who are the kind of people that the machine would say, oh, they can't figure this out, who have figured it out. And it's harder for them uh, in the beginning but I just don't I, I, I don't like the idea of not telling them that the idea exists. So my only oh, point yeah, my only sure. point was yeah. that my daughter's blood sugar jumps up too. We just don't stare mm-hmm. at it for five hours. You, you know, like mm-hmm. that, that's And that's really the point of this system is yeah. that you can trust it to bring you down and you don't have to 
worry about it as much. And then if it's not coming down, then yeah, that's when you would think, well, is this a pump site issue or this is atypical what's going on? Right. So, but for, so yeah. And, for, for, and I think that's the subset of people that listen to your podcast also are more high achieving than unfortunately some of the some, uh, some patients in general too, but I, yeah. I do see what you're saying. Right. No, but I, my goal is to reach those. I listen, if, if, if I, if you ask me right now how to talk to people about diabetes, I would tell you to tell them to get their basal insulin right, to pre bolus mm-hmm. their meals, to understand the different impacts of different foods, and stay flexible. And I think if you, I, I agree. It. I talk about this all the time about pre bolusing and the glycemic index, how far to pre bolus, all that stuff. And I agree, like yeah. having your basal set and being accurate is so important. And I think a lot of people don't. And sometimes even as healthcare providers, we sometimes increase the basal more than it really needs to be in patients who may not have the best habits because we're trying to compensate for what they're not doing. And we're trying to, you know, obviously in a, in a safe manner as well. Um, but then the basal rates end up being a little bit higher than what their true basal needs are. So then if they do go on the system, you know, I will tell them, you know, over time, I think we've compensated. This is what I think your basal rates should be around. And then, you know, try to test to see if that is accurate or not before like going on this type of system. Right. Yeah. Oh, no, I I can't imagine in your line of work, right? There's that you must walk a line where you go, okay, this person doesn't bowls for their food. So how high <laughs> can I get their basal without making them low so that it'll, mm-hmm. it'll offset a little bit their bad bolusing habits or, mm-hmm. this yep. per- or this person won't count carbs or this person for the life of them doesn't want to understand that, you know, French fries are going to hit them differently than something else. And they won't see those right. differences. My point is, is those people are always going to exist. But when we start treating everybody like they may be that person, then no one has an opportunity to have like a solid 5A1C, 55A1C with a time and range of like 90% if that's what they want and that's what they're willing to work towards. So my, my question about the system specifically is, what are the settings? I'm going to make notes while you're talking. Like, what are the settings okay. that I have that I have access to if I'm using Control IQ? In terms of like, what can you adjust? Yes. So uh, your basal rate, basal. your correction factor, uh-huh. and your sensitivity factor. Sensitivity. Or sorry, and your uh, carb ratio. And carb ratio. Yeah. Okay. So obviously simple things, starting at carb ratio. If you have your carb ratio right, then great. But if you don't, then you got to make adjustments to it. But how do you make those adjustments if the sensitivity factor is wrong or the basal is wrong? So I start with basal. I like the idea of away from food, away from boluses. I think your basal should hold you stable at the number you're looking for. So I agree. Right. Yep. Okay. So then the first step, but how do I get my basal set if you know, if I go into the office and somebody just says, oh, your insulin sensitivity factor is uh, 43, but it's really 40, let's say. And they say, uh, your correction factor is 1 to 100, but it's really 1 to 80. And they say your basal is 0.5, but it's really 0.9. That's that's lost. That's lost in the weeds, and and, it, and it's going to happen. Like people are going to go into offices, they're going to everybody's going to do things a little more carefully 
carefully leads to up and down, up and down leads to, I don't, this thing doesn't work usually, right? That's usually what they say. The pump doesn't work. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and so I think that people have to have enough autonomy to go home and say, I need to find stability away from food and boluses with my basil because now I can say, mm-hmm. okay, my basil's 0.9. That I know for sure. Then correction factor, super simple to fix after that because you just let your blood sugar go up, let it get stable, and then correct it and see what happens. And then you can yeah. you can yep. hone your correction factor pretty quickly. Insulin sensitivity is the one that I have to admit, even I just kind of turn the knob till it works. So how do you... So meaning, meaning, because correction factor and insulin sensitivity factor are the same thing. It's just they're different companies use them interchangeably. They use them differently. So they're the same thing. Okay. Sorry. So what's it called in, in control IQ? It is correction Correction. factor. Okay. sorry. But it basically is saying one unit of insulin drops my blood sugar by X number. So it's the same as your insulin sensitivity factor. And I think that's really, so what you're seeing there in my conversation just now is that when I first started using Loop for my daughter, I just went from a, a, a brand where they called it correction factor to a brand where they called it insulin sensitivity factor. And for months, I didn't understand that those were different things. Yeah. And that's not uncommon. And I will admit just as I, I, I mean, and I was like, did I confuse them? Because I just said that you said them twice. instead of carb ratio, I did yes. say them twice. That's um, and I use them interchangeably as well. So honestly, there's no rhyme or reason necessarily. If I say sensitivity factor, or correction factor, it just kind of whatever comes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so tandem does call it correction factor. I would say in general, we probably refer to it as sensitivity factor more. Um, I think Omnipod calls it sensitivity factor, but that, yeah, that's exactly, you're exactly right. That's one of the confusing things. So, um, I think that is important to note that. So then is it, it, then is setting this system up as easy as getting your basal, right? Learning your correction factor and then understanding the implications of different foods. Meaning that if I, meaning that if we decide carb ratio is one unit for, I don't know, you know, it's funny. What's your carb ratio? One unit to what? Me? Yeah. My carb ratio uh, varies. It's either 1 to 10 or 1 to 12. Yeah. Versus my correction factor is like 65. 65. So my correction factor is pretty, I would say, wimpy and conservative compared to like my carb ratios. Can I ask your basil? Yeah. So my basils are like 0.8. Like most of them are 0.8. Um, and my total basal dose is usually about 21 or 22 units. Okay. So keeping using that number, basal 0.8 correction factor, like one to 10, uh, excuse me, a carb ratio, carb ratio, carb ratio, one to 10 correction factor, like one for 65. If you just made all of those stronger, would that, would this pump keep you stable at a lower number? Like if you just said, oh, I'll just make my basal 0.9, I'll make my correction factor, you know, a little stronger, maybe I'll make it 60 and I'll turn, change my carb ratio to one to nine instead of one to 10. Would, would you just suddenly have, do you have that kind of control or does the thing just keep shutting itself off to try to get back to one? To yeah, one? that's a great question. So there's probably a little bit of flexibility there where you could try to find that, you know, those magic numbers that would keep you above 70. 
But the second that it predicts you're going to go below 70, it's shutting that insulin off. So, you know, and depending for how long it does that. And then if you do end up going low, you know, and if you overtreat, then that's when you start to see more of a like roller coaster type of pattern. Mm -hmm. So it's not as easy as just making them more aggressive. Um, And that's why I think Tandem is looking into being able to customize those targets a little bit more for your personal preference. I understand. That's great. I love this conversation because we're walking people through all the different thought processes they're going to have when they're thinking about it. Yeah, right. Exactly. But I agree with you. I think getting the basal set up is super important. The one thing I like about this system is when you go on your, uh, when you log into T-Connect, which is where um, like you can download your pump or save your pump information to the cloud, um, there's actually an app on your phone where you can go in and look at it real time. They're looking into um, getting a bolus from phone um, thing approved, and that's at the FDA right now. But when you go and look at your report, it'll actually give you your actual basal doses compared to your program doses. So it basically is telling you what your actual basal needs are Mm -hmm. based on how the pump is adjusting. And when you look at the download, it'll kind of give you... It's, it's hard to explain without like looking at it, but it's really nice to be able to sit with families and explain, you know, when you see this, when you see this, this is how you know what's going on. But there's basically a baseline that's your typical basal rate. And then the bar will, you know, be either above or below that if it's giving more or less, or, you know, there's like a diamond on the report where it'll show up if it's suspending the basal on its own. Right. I think that's really helpful to look at overall. This is what the pump has been delivering. And this is where I'm set at. Something needs to be adjusted. Yeah. I'm very visual too. Like I remember in the beginning just seeing like, well, it's cutting our basal a lot. The basal's too strong. Or maybe maybe the correction factor is too strong. Like that's it. Like Arden's is, is really interesting. Like she's now that she's on birth control and she's become like regulated and stable on birth control because she had that because her, her poor Arden's like was getting her period constantly. And, oh, and yeah, so that's we, rough. like literally like 11 days, two days off, 11 days, two days off. Like it just never stopped. She was just, it was killing her. We might as well have just cut open her vein and, and sped the process up. Like she was on her way. Yeah, out. She's probably anemic yeah. and oh, she was. feeling she had, awful. Yeah. She had to get, um, uh, like ferritin and, and iron infusions and stuff like that. But, infusions, yeah. yeah. So the point the point is is that now that she's stable, um, with that, her basal is between 0.9 and 1.2, depending on the time of month, and her correction factor is somewhere between 40 and 43. Now the one thing um that I will say is that we are really aggressive with her carb ratio. I think Arden's carb ratio is one unit for four and a half carbs. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. That's, that's quite aggressive. Yes. And so, but that's what works. Like that's what she needs. And that's the thing, like, you know what you're doing, you're doing things properly. And that's clearly what, what she needs and it's working for her. Yeah, I could also probably change her basal rate to 1.4 an hour and make her carb ratio weaker. And we would but just then the problem around. is if she's, you know, not eating or whatever, and let's say you're waiting on a Dexcom supply to come in and she doesn't, she's not she's using the low. loop algorithm. She's going to be super low. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, but that's basically what we do for kids who don't dose regularly or who like vastly underestimate their carbs. 
we may bump their basils up to try to compensate. But the nice thing about the system is it's compensating not only with the basil, but it's compensating like your carb counting accuracy could be a little bit off and it's going to prevent you from going as high as you would without the system. And it's also going to bring you back down to target range much more quickly than if you were to try to do it on your own. I think that's helpful too for teenagers who may not, you know, I'm like, I know you're not going to take your measuring cups to college with you and you're not going to be getting out your food scale, you know, you're kind of eyeballing things. So I think that's another nice feature of this pump is that it does kind of help a little bit with the, you know, if the carb counting is off a little bit. In my mind, the basil and the correction factor are the tools that get used away from food. And then we show up when there's food and bang very hard on the food's head with a with a, an aggressive bolus. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I don't even know. It doesn't even matter for factors right anymore. It just means what 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 works is, what do I mean by that? What works is when she looks at a plate and decides on a number of carbs, it translates well with the factor that we have set up right now. Mm-hmm. And, and so right. um, it, it's, you know, is it real? Like, is, is she really that? I, I don't hundred percent. No, you know what I mean? Like it just, I can just tell you it works. And, and by works, I mean, there's a balance between our, the way we look at food and go, I think that's 60 and what the number set at it works. So, I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, I just looked again. She's now like an hour and a half or more outside of these pancakes and she's finally 97 diagonal up. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's impeccable. <laughs> yeah, 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 we're good. And I'll tell you right now, if that thing gets to one fifteen and doesn't level off, I'm gonna bolus. <laughs> like you know, because because of what I know, pancakes will do to her if we miss it. Um, with the loop, we're able to tell it that we think the impact of the food is over a certain time. You can't do that with control. Like no, right? you can't. And that is something I love about the looping. I I think that's a brilliant like feature Mm -hmm. because what is it like a lollipop a taco and a piece of pizza or something yeah isn't yeah so it's like easier to think in that terms versus like you know go up and go and look up the glycemic index of this food and blah 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 so that is one thing that i i do really like about the looping that you don't have with um the control iq the other thing with control iq is you can still do extend boluses However, you can only extend it out by two hours, which I find is often not enough. Um, But, you know, you can either bolus the additional um, what the additional needs later or sometimes the algorithm. If your settings are right, sometimes it kind of just kicks in and and works to fix you on your own. Yeah, Yeah, I've some listen. Sometimes the algorithm can get it. Sometimes it can't. I try to think of like as a fat like a fat rise, for example, like French fries is such a good example for that. But in that situation, I just think of the fat as more carbs or more insulin need. And then just come back around an hour and a half or two hours after you're done eating and just bolus again, if you weren't able to stretch it out enough in the beginning. Right. Exactly. So, um, now the other thing you can do, which I don't think is, um, you know, I wouldn't recommend to most patients unless you for sure know how to dose for something and you know, it works. Um, and same thing with activity, you can go and turn the control IQ off 
it's just an easy toggle on the pump and then do what you need to do, extend it out. And then after that time, you would just go and turn the control IQ back on. Um, so there's no like re warm up period or anything like that. You just have to simply remember to go in and turn it back on. I think of it this way. If, if we make no mistake, when this happens for us personally, and I'm going to guess for many people, you've messed up a meal. Like if you find yourself in that situation, you haven't pre-bolused or you under bolus the meal. Now you're flying high. The algorithm's screwed because it's like, here's 60% of what I think you'll have. I'll reassess in an hour. You're going to be 400 by the time it reassesses. And so like you've messed up now. And now, now your blood sugar's flying up. I open the loop or as you say, like turn off the algorithm for, for this. And then I treat it like, you know, like this is MDI or regular pumping. I crush the blood sugar and then catch it. And there's a there's a skill to catching it and when to turn the algorithm back on. And it took correct. I think that I think that's a steep learning curve. But with with trial and error, you certainly can figure that out. The other thing is you can go in and give a manual correction or a manual bolus with the algorithm on as well. So that is also an option. Now the the pump will only deliver the auto correction once an hour if there hasn't been any boluses in the past hour. So if you do that, it's not going to deliver one for another hour. Mm -hmm. Um, but you can go in and do that. But I think sometimes, you know, I would encourage people to kind of get used to the system first before they're adding in all these extra variables. Um, but over time, I do think you start to learn just like you do with traditional pumping or with MDI, how certain foods or activities affect your sugar and how to kind of compensate for that. Yeah, you can't, you, you, first first things first, you got to get your settings right. Then you got to watch it a little bit exactly. to figure out how it works. Yeah. Because if, yeah. This, if this system's working even reasonably well for most people, it's pretty cool. It's only three ideas. It's basal, correction factor, and carb ratio. And then the rest of it is your understanding of how to manage meals and the differences in foods and things like that. Um, can I go back into Control IQ Say an hour and a half ago, uh, I ate something. I said, oh, that's 45 carbs. And I realized, oh, it's 55. Can I go edit that? And will it make a change after I edit it or no? You cannot. Okay. So you could go, you could just go to that extra 10 grams of carbs, though, at that point. Can you put in a new bolus and change the time? Like, so if it's one o'clock, you put in 40 carbs. At, at two o'clock, you realize, oh, that should have been 50. Can you go in at two o'clock, put in a 10 car bolus, but tell it it happened at one o'clock? No, no, you See, can't. This is the so yeah, so that, that will, yeah. yeah, the later dose then will, you know, if, then if you dose the extra 10 grams at two o'clock, that is going to be taken into account for that five hour insulin on board. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's one thing gotcha. um, that you can't do. That's yeah. Okay. No, but no, it I'm probably just... has already given you extra, like if you're only off by a little bit, it's probably has already compensated by giving you extra basal. And then if you do go, if it's predicting you go above that 180 or you do go above 180, it's giving you that micro bolus. So if you're only off by a little bit, I feel like it does a pretty good job of bringing you back down on your own and prevents you from going, you know, into the mid or high 200s. Right. Um, now if you're off by a lot, then yeah, that, yeah. that's going to be a different scenario, but these algorithms are not they don't think it's important for people to understand. I don't care which one you're using. I haven't even seen Omnipod five yet, but I'm going to tell you right now, it can't think on its own. So if it only knows what you tell it and if, and if you, for some reason, don't understand that 45 carbs of fruity pebbles is more impactful than 45 carbs of 
I don't know, you know, eggs, bacon, and some, you know, uh, ketchup and whatever else you're having, Holy half toast. a piece of toast, yeah, right? Yeah. right? Like if you don't know the difference between those two insulin needs, this thing doesn't, it doesn't know. You've set these settings up. You've told it this is 45 carbs. And then you put rocket fuel in. So those are the things. I think these algorithms are all amazing. And I think that you need, but you, you're you always going to need to understand the basic ideas about getting your settings right and making good, solid doses for different foods. If you can do those exactly. things, you're going to sleep like a baby. It's just so nice. Yeah. You know? Uh. Well, and, and I think the other thing to kind of add on to that, one important thing that I have noticed um, with this system is just like you said, the pump, you know, the algorithm isn't doing the thinking. So if you take your pump off and don't suspend the insulin, the algorithm has no idea that it's not actually delivering insulin, has no idea that you're in the pool or you're in the shower or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you definitely need to suspend and then resume insulin after you reattach your pump. Um, I know you, that's something you guys wouldn't have to think about with the, you know, with an Omnipod, but um, I think a lot of people with, with pumps with tubing are just used to taking it off and not necessarily suspending it. Um, but that's one thing that's important to note because it could be adjusting your insulin, um, thinking that it's attached to you and it's not. So yeah. that's one thing I think it's helpful. The other thing is if for whatever reason you do want to give, a like a sub Q injection of insulin, if you feel like your site's not working, you just want to give the sub Q injection, make sure it's getting into your system. The algorithm doesn't know that you did that either. So the way to get around that, you can just detach, you know, disconnect the pump from your body. Let's say you gave four units, put in four units blindly, and then, you know, just deliver that into the sink or whatever. And then the pump thinks, you know, it delivered four units. And even though the pump didn't deliver it, it's taking that four units into account whenever it's looking at the um, insulin on board. You know, we don't get a lot of tube pump uh, tricks and tips on this podcast. So that was good. That was excellent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause there was, like I said, those are things that you just didn't have to think about before right, right. when you didn't have an algorithm, like you gave a sub Q injection and went on with your day or you just take your pump off. I think the other thing with new pump users, I like the suspend feature because the pump after 15 minutes, after it's been suspended for 15 minutes will beep very loudly and it's very annoying but that's a safety feature mm -hmm. to say hey like the pump is not attached because i you know my biggest worry is for kids to like forget to reattach their pump and then they go to bed and you know end up super with yeah. super high with ketones and whatnot um so i think that's a good habit to get into to begin with yeah. um and that also reminded me so this pump is um you do have to charge it and it comes with a charger um Usually they say a full battery will last about a week or so, but I typically charge mine while I'm getting a shower since I'm taking the pump off anyways. So I take it off, I suspend, and then I hook my pump up to the, to the charger and just give it a little bit of juice. Um, but it is something that you do have to um, remember to charge it. Yeah. Cool. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that we should have? Yeah, you know, I feel like there's yeah, still kind of a lot of stuff that that we could have talked about. I mean, there's just I could be here all afternoon talking about sure. things. Um, you know, I think 
I think the big things are, like you said, make sure your settings are right. Um, have some patience if you're switching over, you know, from a different pump or just getting started, you know, while, while things are getting figured out. Um, but, you know, I really think the system works really well if your settings are, are accurate and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. I think it's safe and I think it really, um, improves, you know, your quality of life. Um, and I think that is so huge when you have diabetes, um, I'm trying to think if there's any other kind of big things. The only other thing that I sometimes see, so the insulin on board is set at five hours and I know some people, you know, have their set for shorter if they're on other pumps or, you know, if they're on MDI, they're not necessarily even taking that into consideration unless they're using an in pen or something. Um, so leading up to starting on this, I think it's a good idea to gradually extend that insulin on board timeout on your pump or your in pen so that you can kind of recalculate your settings. Because if your insulin on board is, let's say three hours, your sensitivity factor is, you know, calculated, taking that into account. If you're someone who's vigilant and doses right. every two to three hours, if you're not someone that doses every couple of hours, it may not be as big of an, an issue. Um, but if you've figured out, okay, this is, you know, my sensitivity factor whenever, you know, I have an insulin board of three hours, that's going to be different than whenever it's spaced out to five hours. Often it will probably need to be a little bit more aggressive if you have good control to begin with, if you don't, that's something else to kind of, you know, like you said, it's easy to test after you know that your basal rates, um, working properly, but sometimes I, I don't know how other clinics work, but I know sometimes personally, my patients, I might make their correction factor a little bit more aggressive as well. If I know that they don't carb count accurately, or I know they're not dosing regularly and they're only dosing once a day mm -hmm. based off of their blood sugar to get them a little bit more insulin where I can, but then I'll tell them that going onto the system, like, Hey, I made your correction factor 30. I really don't think it needs to be that aggressive. Let's try this to begin with. So, mm -hmm. um, but that's something that I see some people kind of, um, get concerned about that insulin on board being longer. So that's something that I think can help to reevaluate your settings, spacing that insulin on board out. Do you have time for me to ask you a couple of questions? Yeah, sure. Cool. So if put, put yourself in a scenario, it's overnight. Okay. There hasn't been a mm -hmm. bolus since 8 PM. It's two o'clock in the morning. Now, if blood sugars are going up and going down like, like choppy, like, you know what I mean? You're not getting that smooth line with your basal. Is that like, what would you look at first in control IQ? If it was like going from like, I don't know, uh, super stable and then suddenly goes up to 140, then comes back down to 80 and back to 140. If this has happening over and over again, what settings are we supposed to be looking at then? So that's when I would really look at the download and see like, what is, what is the basal doing? And I would, you know, also want to know, like, what did you have for dinner? And what was your activity like that day? But it really, unless you in, you know, I'm, I'm not someone that's in favor of having like 12 different basal rates throughout the day. Yeah. But unless your basils are really like variable and change frequently, I would say that's pretty atypical to see that pattern unless the you know, unless that's like the reason, unless it's food or activity related. Could it be the algorithm? Say, could it be a basil's too strong and it drives you down 
and then the algorithm sees it cuts off and it bounces back up and the algorithm comes back on and it drives you back down again. Could that be a sign of Yeah, that? that's a good thought. I think it's it's a much slower, um, it's typically a slower trend. Okay. So I wouldn't expect it to be as like up and down and choppy. It would be kind of more of a gradual rise and decrease. But but yeah, if it's especially if it's shutting off for a longer time, that could then, you know, cause you to rebound a little bit higher. So I was, you can see on your pump when you wake up or at any time, there'll be a vertical, like red vertical line on the pump screen when Mm -hmm. it shuts off your insulin. So you can kind of get an idea of how often it was shutting off and, um, for about how long. And if, if you're seeing frequent red bars, then I would say that's probably that your basal's too high. Okay. But that's probably not correction factor. If I'm seeing the red bars, it's basal. Yeah, because overnight, so I guess, I don't know, I can't even remember what we talked about, honestly. So overnight with the sleep mode, it does not give any auto corrections. So it will only adjust the basal. So that's that's one thing. Then you can kind of rule out that factor. And assuming you didn't give any correction before bed or anything like that. It's more more aggressive with basal and sleep mode, right? Yes, correct. Okay. Do you have to tell so the other it- thing I want to mention about sleep mode? Sorry, no, I forgot no. to mention this. So Please. you can pre-program the sleep mode. Um, there's two different um, profiles. So most people will have like a weekday versus a weekend, or they may have like if you do shift work or something. Um, and then it comes on automatically. So you could have it set from like 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. for example on a weekday, and then you know, 11 PM to 8 AM on the weekend or whatever. Um, and it will then turn on automatically. And then depending on your needs, you know, if you're someone who is eating later at night and, or, you know, kids that might struggle with grazing, you may want to start that sleep mode a little bit later so that they're getting a correction before going to bed versus, you know, a younger kid or an athlete who might be, uh, prone to like delayed blows or something like that you may want to start that sooner so that they're not getting any corrections before bed. Um, So something to keep in mind. How does it know the range? So if we tell it, if we tell it your basal is 0.1 an hour and it's aggressive, does it tell itself where to stop being aggressive? Do you know what I mean? Like, can, can this thing, like if I'm in sleep mode and it sees something crazy coming, can it change my basal to like four an hour? So there is a max, a max basal limit that you can set in the pump. Um, that is, I think three units per hour. So, but if you're someone that's really sensitive and three units per hour is going to, you know, really plummet you like a really little kid, for example, you could set that max basal at one unit an hour, or if their normal basal rates 0.1, you could set it at 0.5 units per hour. So, um, I would say two and a half times higher than your typical basal is probably the highest I would set it to start with and then kind of go from there. What if I'm a 200? So you think like, let's oh, I'm sorry. go ahead. I was just going to say, what if I'm a 250 pound grown man and my basal is two and a half already? Is the max still three? <sighs> yeah. So that's a great question. So the max basal rate you can have in this pump is in- insanely 15 units per hour. Um, but I believe that it will still only give three units per hour max if the control IQ is on. I have to, I have to double check on that because I was actually just reading something about this recently. 
And I know if it shuts you out of the control IQ. So if the Dexcom and the pump aren't reading for more than 20 minutes, it that's the only time where the control IQ will not work. So I know like with um, the 670G and 770G, like it'll kick you out of auto mode for certain things. This is really the only reason that it would kick you out of the control IQ. And then it goes back to your program settings. So I know if it kicks you out, even if your program rate is higher, it only goes to that three units per hour. Hmm. And I think that's a safety thing, but I don't know for sure how high it can go. And I apologize for that, but I can definitely find out for you and let you know. If you send me an email, I'll tack it in the end of the, the episode. Can I ask okay, a, great. Can I ask a fun question now that we're sort of done yeah. with this? So you're in the business, right? What, what mm-hmm. What's the word on the street about how Omnipod 5 is going to work? Because I hear people calling it so, a learning system. You hear people calling it a what? Like a learning system? Like it'll it'll make different decisions based on historical data? Is that true? So I've, I've heard that too, but I don't know. I haven't had that be confirmed by anybody that works within Omnipod. Yeah, they won't Let's say anything that right way. Now. I know some people. I know. I, I know. They're so tight lipped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's kind of how Medtronic is. And I see the theory behind that, but it's kind of there are pros and cons to that as well. So um yeah, I mean I, I think that people are gonna have success with that as well. I think people are gonna have success with any sort of automated insulin delivery system. But I am I'm excited for that to come out because I do have some patients who, you know, absolutely don't want tubing or they've been on Omnipod, so they want to stay with Omnipod, you know, so I'm really, really excited for it to come out, but it should be um, interesting to see, you know, how it works and everything. Yeah, I agree. I, so, and I I do have some patients that do the looping. We just can't obviously recommend it. It's such Um, a weird thing when, um, when it comes down to that at Arden's uh, appointments, they're like, I need you to look in the app and tell me what the total basal is for the day and what the, like they act like it doesn't exist. But then when, when that technical part's over, like, Hey, this loop works really great. Huh? And I was like, yeah, like, it's funny when they're, it's, it, I understand. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I get it, you know? And the, the problem is too, we don't like, it's a lot of work on our own to kind of research and learn how it works and stuff. Like we don't get any formalized education or training on how the algorithm works. Luckily for me, I have a, um, a dad with type one whose daughter uses the loop and that, you know, dad uses it too. And he helps actually get people set up on the looping system here in the Pittsburgh area. Yeah. Um, and so he's a great resource to have that. I, you know, can shoot him a message pretty quickly, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I agree. I think it works well. Once again, for patients who do X, Y, and Z, some patients still struggle with bullishing or whatever. And then they still have, you know, erratic numbers because, the problem is right with the loop, or I think there's a newer version. You, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it only adjusts the basal. Is that correct? Oh uh, no, the, it, it, there's one that corrects the basal, but Arden uses auto bolus where it boluses. Okay, so there is one that boluses yeah, and, too. Okay, and it'll it'll bolus and keep bolusing. So I think it's uh, I think it's forty percent of rec of re- recommended, but like let's say it it wants a unit, it'll bolus point four. And then the next mm-hmm. time it comes around, if it's still reading higher, it'll it'll go again. Now it still only does like the percentage of the thing, but the the percentage is actually customizable. If you're willing to go into the programming, you can change the percentage too. Um, if you really oh, want, that's interesting. If you really want, that makes me nervous as a provider <laughs> of 
Well, the people. And once smart, again, depending on the families, you know what I mean? Like you have to take that into consideration. Some people are like super savvy and great with it. So if, it's very independent. If, if you can get into the loop and change that setting. You're 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 pretty knowledgeable to begin with because it's not it's not like yeah a, right it isn't a door marked make this stronger you just have to like knock on it it's it's hard to get accomplished but I have three episodes called Fox in the Loop House with a gentleman named Ken Fox Kenny Fox who's uh, a dad oh, who just nice. understands <laughs> it you want to understand Loop listen to those you'll understand it when it's over okay yeah um so um that's I mean I really appreciate ahead. you doing this I I I know you could talk forever because you have like unlimited talking points in your head about this, <laughs> but I, I think no, this the really only, helpful. the only other thing I want to throw in there is the activity mode, just because we didn't talk about that at all or the, yeah. or the exercise mode. I mean, right. So that will target you just real quickly between 40 and 160, Um, and we'll suspend on 80 instead of 70. So it is meant to keep you a little bit tighter. It still will give higher basal. It still will give auto corrections that are 60% if needed. And the one thing I've found is you have to really start it at least an hour, if not two hours before. And for some people, that's still not enough. And so sometimes what I'll have my patients do is either if they know what to do, just turn the control IQ off and do what you did before, which Mm -hmm. is honestly, typically what I do. If you're not, and you're just, it's new learning either way, then I have them create a separate profile, like an exercise profile where their basal rates, correction factors, everything are less aggressive. And they, you just have to remember to turn that on and the activity mode so that it's giving you more time to target you to the 140. But then if you are trending up, it's going to give you less insulin. So you're going to have less insulin on board, you know, heading into the exercise. I find that people's biggest problem with exercise is that they want to do it with a ton of active insulin. Like they, they yeah. And And it's just like that insulin is supercharged. Yeah. You could have like a half a unit on board depending on your insulin sensitivity. Um, for some people that's fine. But for me, if I have a half a unit on board, I plummet. So yeah, it's, I think exercise is a learning curve for some people, but, Mm -hmm. um, some people like want to turn it on right at the beginning or a half an hour, an hour before, and it's often not enough. So I just did want to at least mention that. Sorry. No, I appreciate it. I'm fascinated always that people don't recognize how insulin works in time, like how they're just like, yeah, right. Like the basal doesn't affect you right away. Obviously. Like I'll just throw a light switch and it'll be fine. It's like, that's not, there's already the insulin from the last hour that was meant for the. So the thing that I say on here, Haley, that I, 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 I think is important is that insulin you're using right now is for later. And mm-hmm. more importantly, yep. the way you have to think of it while you're making adjustments is that insulin from before is for now. So mm-hmm. you, you don't get to say, I'm going to start running now. I'm going to shut my basal off because you can shut your basal. You could take the pump off and throw it across the room if you wanted to. You're still going to have ship has already sailed. Yeah, yeah. It's too late, right? Like, yeah. So you have yeah. to pre-plan for that. And then you get into... That's a real human failing. The idea of pre-planning, it's why people are so bad at pre-bolusing. And why I Right, tell, you're exactly right. Yeah, and why I tell them all the time, they're like, I don't know what to do here. I'm like, you're going to have to pre-bolus. I don't want to. Well, then you're going to blood sugar is going to get high. I don't know what to tell you. Like, like this is just how yeah. it works. Like, I'm sorry, it sucks and everything. But the insulin isn't instantaneous. And it's even more so with basal because it's not so much of it. It's this little like... Pss, like you're, you're, you know what I mean? Every couple of minutes, you a little more, a little more, a little more. Even if you're a unit an hour, you're getting these little spurts over the minutes. Right. You, you, you need those spurts to stop so that when your activity begins, the basil's gone. And the way I think of that is like you're creating a black hole 
where there's no basil in the future. So you take it mm-hmm. away, you take it away at noon so that at one o'clock or one thirty, you know, how, whenever you're going to start and however long you learn it takes for your basil to stop impacting you after you take it away, when your body tries to fall, it can't because the gravity's too heavy. So you, you, or, or too, or too weak. So you come in and instead of the gravity or the basil pulling you down, it doesn't exist anymore. You just kind of float over that timeline of activity and then turn your basil back on so that when your activity's over and your blood sugar starts to go back up again, it's met with the resistance of the basil again. And that's yeah. And like taking yeah. into account your bolusing too, within a couple of hours of activity as well. Like, and that is where planning is so vital and important for like tight glycemic control. But yeah, yeah you have to take that into consideration. You know, the one thing I do like about the insulin on board for the, this pump is it takes into account the, the, the basal and the bolus insulin. So if it gives any additional basal, it's taking that into account for your insulin on board calculation. Cool. That's excellent. Um, yeah, which I think is nice. Yeah. Hey, listen, when we stop the recording, I'll tell you what I think I know about Omnipod 5's release date. Okay, great. All right. Thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. And I'm, you know, hope that it's helpful to, to some people out there. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Hey, a huge thanks to Haley for coming on the show and sharing all of that information about Tandem's Control IQ. Thank you so much, Haley. Thanks also to Dexcom, makers of the G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor, and Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod Dash and the Omnipod Promise. Learn more about Omnipod at omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. And of course, that Dexcom, go dig into it right now at dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting the show. And for that and so many other things, I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back soon with another.